So you know those Capital One commercials about, so what's in your wallet? I know what's not in your wallet. It's a few days after Christmas. But I kind of thought of that little, um, that concept. Um, It's four days after Christmas. So what's on your mind? You know, what's on your mind? Here it is, four days removed from our Christmas celebration. And all the, the excitement that has been building and building and building. And however it is in, in your families, it's different from family to family. The celebration and the build-up, um, it varies. And then there's Christmas morning, and or maybe it's Christmas Eve where presents are opened. Or maybe it's in the morning or in the afternoon, it depends. In our house, our children suffer until after we've had a little bit of food and stuff. And, and uh, it's really fun to watch the process. Um, but um, we celebrate in pris- uh, the, uh, the gifts are exchanged, and we have fun, and we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. And then days move along, and we're in the middle of a week, and so Wednesday was Christmas, and here we are on Sunday. And I've really appreciated the blending of these songs, um, of Christmas songs, as well as just thoughts that um, you can have the world, but give me Jesus. And I guess that's where I want to kind of focus a little bit today. How easy it is for us at times to all of a sudden just move from all that excitement and all that's been going on, building to Christmas, and maybe the day after with our families and and little kids and children playing with the toys. Actually, the dads are playing with the toys with the little kids usually. But uh, all of this stuff is going on, and, and it's kind of easy for us to kind of forget what just took place. And what was it all about? Now, you might say, sure, yeah, no, not really. But I, I just share a couple of thoughts. Think about, let's just move back a month. Thanksgiving. And all the excitement that Thanksgiving. Did you know that there are more cars on the roads and more accidents on that weekend in the United States than any other? I, I know there's a lot of people traveling, going all over the place with stuff. But as I think about the whole scheme and, and all that's going on that surrounds Thanksgiving, I think it makes a little sense to me. But it also tells me a little bit about who we are as individuals. And there's the build-up to Thanksgiving, not like with Christmas, but there's still this excitement. We're gathering together and we're anticipating family and friends gathering around this great big meal. And, and perhaps there's things that go on in your celebrations that are slightly different. But again, the, the big and the bulk and the purpose of all of this, especially as we as Christians are being thankful for all that God has blessed us with. And we gather together and we celebrate over a meal and we have this fellowship. And then about nine o'clock, we start thinking about midnight and Black Friday and racing off to beat the crowd to the Walmarts, the malls, and there's chaos and it's crazy. And we go from all this, so grateful for all this to I've got to have this in a moment's time. And it's an amazing thing that takes place. And not all of us participate in it, but we see it happening around us. And it is no wonder all the different in, in the accidents and things that take place around that time. Because people are driving at the weirdest hours of the morning to get some of these places that they can save a few dollars for something that they think they need or a friend needs or whatever it is. And so it's, it's just kind of a chaotic thing. Even last year, maybe this year I didn't hear, but people actually died in little stampede situations within the shopping areas. And wow, just 24 hours earlier, we were so thankful for whatever it was we were thankful for. And I, had the, I asked that the scripture Exodus 32 would be read because I think it kind of fits into the scheme of things for us. You think, you know, why in the world are we talking about the Ten Commandments and Moses and all that kind of stuff? Um, that, that reading is approximately 
uh, three months, a little more than three months after a very significant event and a series of events after that significant event building up to that point in time. You see, the Israelites had been in uh, Egypt for some 430-odd years as slaves. And God sends Moses and calls Moses out. And Moses is now become their leader. And he's going to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh, the Egyptians. And these plagues take place. Fascinating. These plagues take place. And, and, and initially it's this, fresh, this give and take thing. A plague happens and uh, it, it angers Pharaoh and he gets you know, really mad. And, and it, you have this moment of like, oh, we're going to get free. And oh, no, we're not going to be free. And it goes up and down and then comes to the final plague where it's the, 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 the plague of the firstborn, where the firstborn children and livestock and all are just taken in that plague. And in that one, finally, Pharaoh and the Egyptians say, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you. And they become free. Initially, they just wanted to go and worship for a few days. In that story, if you look at the beginning of the whole process, but because of all that transpires, they get to take a ton of stuff with them. You wonder where they get all those gold earrings and everything to make the golden calf in that story. A lot of it probably came from the Egyptians as they left because the Egyptians just wanted them out of town. And so they leave. They plunder and go. Masses of them. And where do they go? Well, God leads them along the sea and they camp there. The Egyptians back home say, what did we do? We just gave up on our slaves. And they're kind of like, I don't know how to split wood. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. So they go back and they send their armies after the Israelites. And the Israelites are in fear. Now, you would think they would have just remembered all that transpired, but they don't. And they get really fearful. And God does one of these phenomenal things. He parts the sea. And the Israelites cross. And then when the the chariots and the soldiers come after them, the sea swallows them up. And they're all gone right before their eyes. A phenomenal sight to see and witness. And then they proceed to go through a few months in the desert and they grumble about not water. They don't have food. They don't have bread. And, and God provides miraculously all through this process over and over and over again. And eventually they camp around Mount Sinai here. And that's where we pick up this story. They're encamped around Mount Sinai. And Moses is kind of going up the mountain, visits with God, and comes back down and talks to the Israelites. And there's this process that goes back and forth. And one day around chapter 24, verses 7, 8, or 9, somewhere in there, Moses or God has Aaron and a couple other priests and 70 elders go up the mountain with Moses. And they see the face of God. They actually see the face of God. And they have this incredible experience. And they sit and they meditate and they interact and all this takes place. And then God calls Moses further up. And those guys head back down to be with the people. And Moses is up there for about 40 days. And in those 40 days, somehow they get bored down there and they forget all that has transpired. And they create this golden calf, something made by men to worship. And yet 73 or so of them had seen the face of God not just a few days earlier. And how quick they are to forget. And we can hammer on them all we want, but we're not much different probably either um, in our own things. And so I was really excited. And even as it was being read again today, Luke chapter 2 and the Christmas story and the birth of Christ, we just need to remember, folks, what has transpired. That Mary conceives and she gives birth as a virgin. 
What a miracle. And what about Mary and Joseph and all that they go through in the, in the initial phases there in Nazareth and being shunned perhaps and maybe laughed at and spit at and, and all kinds of oddities that would happen. How do you explain this pregnancy and all that, that comes around that? We can't even begin to comprehend what that must have been like. We can try and we can have fun and, and sadness in the process of trying to understand it all. But it happens. And then Caesar wants the census taken, so Joseph takes Mary with child to um, Bethlehem, where this is the city of David, where his lineage comes from. And so they make this long hike, miles and miles and miles. And they get there, and they arrive, and there's no room in the inn. Now, Bethlehem's a tiny little spot just south of Jerusalem, and some movies will have them going door to door to door to door, knocking around, trying to figure things out. But I think there's just one inn, and he goes to it. And there's no room there. And he's offered a manger. And so he's, I don't know, who, who knows what that conversation was like? I don't know. You don't understand. My wife's pregnant. Yeah, I can see that. No, no, you really don't understand. Oh, like, I wish I could tell you everything. Or, yeah, uh, she's pregnant. It's the son of God. She's actually a virgin, you know. You know, what, what is going on in this conversation? No matter you got a manger right over here, and, and that's plenty of room there. And so that's where Mary and Joseph go. And the babe is born. And out in the fields surrounding comes an angel and gives testimony to this, this great happening. And these shepherds, as they see this angel come up and, and, the, and the presentation of what just took place in Bethlehem in this manger, that Christ the Lord... Um, has been born, a savior, the line of David has been born and, and, and is born in a manger in a humble setting and all these things happen. And all of a sudden, a host of angels come up and they start crying out, glory, glory, and all this kind of stuff. I'm thinking, wow, you know, host of angels. I'm sure it was a host. I'm sure it was a big group of people. Just boom. And the angels are just fascinated by this. At first, they're terrified. But then as the, they are been engaged and conversation takes place and the explanation of all, and then they make their way into Bethlehem. And they come into Bethlehem and they find everything just as was told to them. They find the manger, they find Joseph, Mary, and the baby. And they're fascinated. And they can't keep quiet. Sometimes we kind of forget about this little piece of it, I think. But they start going around and... In their, in their excitement, they can't contain themselves. And they're telling people about what they just experienced, what they heard, what they saw, what's going on. In this little town of Bethlehem, and the people within are hearing this story, and they're all amazed. Now I wonder what the innkeeper's thinking. As he steps out and thinks, what is all this commotion about? And then somebody runs up and tells him what's happened. We don't know again what the conversation earlier was, but now I wonder what he's thinking. Wow. In my manger? I wonder if I should kick somebody out and let this family into my house or into my room or whatever. Who knows what's going on? But what's the town like? What's going on in the town? This little sleepy town of Bethlehem, little tiny town, all of a sudden this excitement is, is brewing and, and people are getting excited. And I, could, I kind of picture it. I know sometimes I get off on tangents, but I think of for a minute, you know, you drive through the United States of America and you come to these small towns home of the Little League World Series champions in 1952 or whatever. And you can see these people putting up a sign, home of Jesus Christ, Son of God, you know, out in their sign. It's just all this excitement that takes place. And we don't know how it affects them, but we just know they're amazed. Some may believe it completely, lock, stock, and barrel, and others may think, well, I don't know, but this certainly something happened. 
And they're kind of confused by the, the situation. But it's a fascinating thing. And so it's easy, I think, sometimes for us to, to wonder why is this story kind of kept within that little finds. Because if we look a little further after the birth of Christ and you see the, the Magi. Here they come in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. And we, we look there and we find them coming to um, Jerusalem. They have seen a star. And it is made known to them that the king of the Jews has been born. They have been studying. They're from the east. And they're aware of, uh, through scripture, through whatever it is, somehow they know that this is a special event. And they make their journey, a long journey, to Jerusalem. Because where else would the king of the Jews be but Jerusalem? So they go to Jerusalem. And they get to Jerusalem. And it's interesting that nobody has a clue about what's going on. We don't know how long exactly it is that when the Magi show up to when Jesus was born. But given the events that transpire, it's a pretty safe assumption, perhaps, that it's been at least a year, maybe a year and a half has transpired. I don't know. Some would argue differently. But either way, there's just not really any knowledge of what has taken place. And so when they come and ask Herod, the current king, hey, where is it that this king of the Jews has been born? We want to worship him and see him. And he's like, uh, just uh, let me take a rain check on that. And he checks and has the priest in the script. Uh, those that would know the knowledge of the scriptures come to him and say, hey, what's this about a king of the Jews being born? What, what, can you explain this to me? And they refer to the Old Testament readings and say, yeah, actually, right here, it says in Bethlehem, you owe Bethlehem. Oh, that's good news. And he's a paranoid guy. You know, Pastor West shared a few weeks ago, this guy. And he, he doesn't hesitate to react. Anything that's going to threaten his crown, he's going to deal with it. And he's taken out a l- number of people already. So he goes back to the Magi and he says, hey, you know what? Bethlehem. We just found it's going to be in Bethlehem. So why don't you go down there, worship, do your thing and stuff. And come back and let me know because I'd like to go worship them too. I want to go worship this king of the Jews. And so it goes and they take off and they go down. The Magi do. And then in a dream, they are warned. And they go home a different way. Time transpires. Again, I don't, I, who knows? Is it a week? You know, how long would Herod think that the Magi are going to be down there visiting this king of the Jews? I, I would think more than a day. They've traveled forever to get there. And it's not like they're going to travel forever and spend 30 minutes and then take off and go. So some time transpires, but enough that eventually Herod realizes they've played him. They've tricked him. And they've gone, and he's been left in the, in the dark on this thing, and he's, he's mad. And he decides, based on what he knows of all that's transpired, the, the story from the Magi, he figures probably this child is about a year and a half old or something, but to be safe, let's take the two-year-olds and down. I don't know what's in his mind, but we know the two-year-olds and younger are going to be slaughtered. And so a dream comes to Moses, or Joseph, and Joseph is warned, and he takes and flees to Egypt with Mary and the baby Jesus. And somewhere between 15 and 20 young children are murdered in Bethlehem in the surrounding vicinity. And it's, all this is just happening. And what, a, what, a, what an incredible event in our, in our time, in our history. And what an incredible event in time and history at that place at that time and, and for these people. And yet you wonder, how is it that that Herod and, and all those people are, were ignorant of the situation. How is it they didn't know? 
When Jesus was eight days old, for example, he was taken to Jerusalem to be circumcised. And when he's brought in, Simeon sees him. Simeon's been told by God that he will not die before he sees the consolation, the salvation of Israel. And he sees Mary and Joseph come into the temple and God makes it known to Simeon without a shadow of doubt, they're the Savior, Jesus. And he takes this baby and makes this incredible statement. And Mary and Joseph are fascinated. Somebody knows. Some people were aware of what was happening in that moment in time. Anna or Anna, prophetess, she was there in the temple as well. She had lived day and night in the temple for 70 or 60 years, fasting and praying every day. She was close to God. And she saw Jesus and she saw Simeon and Mary and Joseph and she stepped right out. He's right. And she tells all the people who were waiting desperately for the Messiah, here he is. And she gives prophecy. And it's a fascinating event that takes place eight days after his birth in Jerusalem, right under the house, right there in the temple, right next door to Herod. And it says that Mary and Joseph then leave, go back to not Bethlehem, but to Nazareth after they deal with all the legalities of the birth. And I checked in that a little bit. Cindy and I were talking about that yesterday. Probably about 40 days is the purification process for Mary and all that goes on with that, uh, the giving birth of a child. And so somewhere around 40 days after the birth of Christ, they head back to Nazareth. But it also says that every year they come back for the feast of the Passover. Maybe it's in one of those returns that the Magi show up. I don't know. It happens. Somehow they're told to go to Bethlehem. And I could see Bethlehem opening their arms up every time Mary and Joseph show up. Because they remember. They remember the shepherds in that event that happened. And they would just open their doors up. And when the Magi go, they go to find Jesus in a house as a child. Fascinating story. The Christmas story and all that it envelops and all that goes within it. What's on your mind? Uh, Where are you working through today? Um, Have you allowed the reality and the beauty and the concepts of, of Christ and who he is and what he has accomplished to settle into your hearts? Or is it kind of like Thanksgiving or maybe it's an anniversary or a birthday or some other celebration that we kind of year every year, we, yep, oh yeah, and we think about it and bring it up and we celebrate. And we do a great job celebrating. We do a great job with that. But then within a day or two thereafter, we kind of, it dies down and we go back to just living along and moving through the routine of our schedules in our lives. Part of me understands perhaps some of the, the lostness of the story in that event and all that took place. And I can understand a little bit perhaps of how Herod and, and a lot of those people were kind of clueless of to what was going on. Because you see, they only had the event of the time in its moment. It was a day-to-day process. Now, the scribes and the, the Pharisees and these individuals had history that was going to pro- prophesy about this. And they're aware of it coming But that was just a number of people that believe that. And even they struggle with it today, still. But essentially, you're talking about Mary 
Joseph, some shepherds, town of Bethlehem, Herod, Magi, Simeon, Anna, and then some people who kind of tie into this thing. But they do it in the present moment of time, in the, in the experience of that moment. And I, I guess I kind of feel for them. I say, you know what? They don't have the whole story, do they? We do. We have the whole thing, folks. We read about it. And then we find out, they, it says, you know, in Luke 2, 41, how they, Mary and Joseph go back and they return for the feast of the Passover. And then if you look in there, it says when, they were, when he was 12 years old, they forgot him and left him in Jerusalem. That little story kind of crops up. They don't know anything about it, but you and I do, if we read scripture. And we, we learn a little bit more about Jesus. He turned water to wine in a wedding feast. He raised people from the dead. He raised a guy, and I would love to have been at this event. I mean, there's a lot of events I'd love to be at, but there's a coffin going along, and they're moving along, and all of a sudden, up rises this individual as, as Jesus steps in. And then there's Lazarus, and there's people who have demons, and they're demon-possessed, and they're, they're freed. There's people who don't, you know, they're hungry, they're following Jesus, and he, and he takes a little bit of bread and, and fish, and he feeds thousands and he walks on water. And Peter tries to walk on water and succeeds. But then he gets a little nervous and he starts to sink. And then he's back up and walking or Jesus carries him or he swims along. I don't know. But just miracle after miracle, phenomenal events take place. And we see, read, hear about it all. We know all of the events that surround this and beyond. We know that he's betrayed. And he's nailed to a cross. And he's crucified. And the pain and the agony. But you know what? As Carmen says in one of his songs, you know, Sunday's coming, you know, there's, there's the resurrection. And we know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's not just he pops up and goes, but he's around. He, he goes directly to some 500 people in a period of time after he's been murdered and he's raised from the dead. He engages a host of people and interacts with them. Physically, Jesus Christ walking on earth after he was murdered and hung on the cross. We know that. And we have the epistles and some of the things that take place after Christ is risen from the dead. And we have all these truths and things. And we have it all. And yet sometimes it's easy for us after a few days of celebrating the, Christ, the birth of Christ to, to move on. And so I guess that's my challenge for us, you know. What are you thinking about? What's on your mind four days after Christmas? I wish I had gotten that book in a different hardback. Oh, it would have been so much better. Or, man, that was a, those are great. I just love these things. And you're playing with them and you're, you're fiddling with them. And what's on your mind? Or, man, New Year's is coming. I've got an extra pound or two. Um, I'd like to lose a little weight. I do that every year. I never succeed with this. And you get thinking about New Year's resolutions and things. And this year, I'm going to do, a, I'm going to do right. Instead of 15 pounds, I'm going to go with seven because I can make seven. And you, your mind wanders in this direction for a little while. It's easy. It's, I mean, that's our society. We just move in those things. But what, what the challenge for me and for us is that we don't get caught in all that. It's not wrong, some of those things. But we need to remember, you know, the world can have Jesus, or the world can have all it's got. But just give me Jesus. You know, let me bask in the glory of Jesus Christ every day. And let me think about 
the fact that he was born. And as I move from Thanksgiving to Christmas to Easter, that it's a, a steady flow of what is Christ and who he is in my life. And I can live Christmas every day um, and celebrate Christ day in and day out and not get caught up in this ebb and flow of moments of highs and lows, but try to become, and maybe that's a great New Year's resolution that you can do today and not wait. <laughs> and that I'm gonna, I really want to be more consistent in my walk with Jesus. So Christmas has come and gone. It's a few days back, but it's a number of years back for that matter, some 2,000 plus years. And the ultimate question is, what's on your mind today? What are you thinking about? And so as we wrap up the service today, the, the hymn is called, O Love Divine by Christ Revealed. And there's some neat little uh, references in here that I just think as we sing, there's five verses, I believe. As we sing this hymn, reflect on these five little pieces in here. I concentrate, I consecrate my all to thee, Lord Jesus. I consecrate my all to thee. His light burn in my heart, a constant flame. Not this little flicker once in a while and then it kind of springs up. But it's a constant, steady flame in my heart. By his truth... We're set free. We have freedom in Christ. And we, we should be relishing that every day of our life. His peace to dwell within our hearts. A peace that the world can't give. John 14, 27. I give you a peace that is beyond all comprehension. And that is ours. The peace of Christ in our hearts. And then finally, by his joy... We are content, restful, and secure. Are you content, restful, and secure? Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, I've learned the secret of being content in and every circumstance. And he lists these things, you know, naked or loads of clothes or no food and lots of food and all these things. And he's been through it all. And yet he has learned the contentment of, of life because of Jesus Christ. As we celebrate Christmas... Continue to celebrate through and allow these thoughts and things to, to go with you and allow you to enjoy Christmas every day, uh, today, tomorrow, and forevermore.